You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number three. Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. At the bottom of the hour, Ross Tucker, NFL Insider, CBS Sports, host of the Ross Tucker Podcast. Tee up the Thursday Nighter tonight between the Niners and the Seahawks. We'll also give away day number nine of our 12 Days of Christmas, courtesy of our friends at Wild Rose Brewery. Are the Calgary Flames a playoff team? If so, why? If not, why? 960-960 name and location. We'll give away the prize at the end of the program. But right now, our pal Frank Saravalli, NHL Insider, Daily Faceoff, brought to you by South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. Frank, good morning. How are you? Good, George. Nice to have you back. No, thank you. Nice to be back. A little under the weather there uh, last week, but uh, still sounding a little rough, but uh, glad to be back and talking hockey on the A little air rough, with... like losing to the uh, Vancouver Canucks after Ooh, bringing it all the way back last night. I, I see what you did there. Um, 30 games out here, 30 games in the books for the Calgary Flames here, Frank. Should fans be concerned whether or not this is a playoff team? I would say my level of concern is about a six and a half out of 10. Okay. And it's more than it was. I don't know, three weeks ago, just because every time it sort of seems like they're turning the corner, there's a lull and a stretch where it's like, man, they really just need a a kick in the arse. And the problem is I don't know what the answer is. Obviously, part of it is they need more goals. Um, And in an odd way, you know, the goaltending has rounded into form. Vladar played so well for a while. And then you look at you know, look at the last few games from Markstrom, even though he doesn't have much to show for it in the win column, his numbers are actually pretty good. So it's, we knew that this would kind of be a tough adjustment period. And I think you see signs of, of light in the sense that watch Huberto play now, like he's making an impact on the game. He's making plays Uyghur. You know, you see the stretch pass last night, seems like he's settling in a bit, but it's just not, it's not all coming together. Now, it's it's been strange to watch with Huberto because a lot of the local discourse has been around about inserting some youth in the lineup. Matty Phillips, who we saw a couple times on the road trip, but I think a lot of it does come down to the top guys need to find a way to put the puck in the net. And to me, that's kind of the biggest difference between this team being a playoff team and not being a playoff team. It's are they going to get the scoring from their top guys that they need to because they play in a lot of one one goal games, and that's the difference. It almost never comes down to like, is your bottom six scoring enough or not? Because usually the answer is if your t- if your top six isn't getting it done, the bottom six isn't going to matter. You know, you can't be hanging your season on. You know, it's a poor example, but whether Phillips comes in and was able to, you know, you know, provide a bunch of points or not, and whether the guys way further down in the lineup are able to do it or not. It will come down to, hey, need to get Andrew Mangiapane going. Need to get Jonathan Huberto piling up more points. Like it just, it's fact. You need more from, you know, Backland and and you look at Kadri and I'd say he hasn't exceeded expectations by any stretch. But it's probably even fair to say that coming in, given you know the hype surrounding him, that 
he's probably met them. Is that fair? Um, and so they just need more. You're right. I think that's the answer is where can you find someone out there potentially on the trade front that can come in and give you a shot in the arm? Frank, how do you think uh, the Huberto contracts perceived around the league? Because right now uh, he's got nine years left here in Calgary and obviously off to a slow start. And clearly he has a ton of time to write the ship here. But how was that contract perceived maybe around the league when it was initially signed? I mean, there's no question it's a lot of money and, and certainly the term and commitment and everything that goes with that contract, including the hefty amount and signing bonus. But coming off the year that he had, not, not only did everyone know that he was going to be paid a huge number, but on top of that, the Flames were just in a spot where, you know, whatever market value is perceived to be, they probably need to be on the north side of it based on the spot they were in with players walking away and saying, I don't want to be in Calgary anymore. I don't want to play in Canada. That this was a spot that they had to step up and and maybe pay just a tad extra. But he's coming off of a season that, you know, he scored the most ever points in a single season in NHL history at his position. So that's a pretty significant accomplishment and a clearly a talented player that I think that's the risk that everyone was looking at and, and not just with Uberto, but with the other guys that had career seasons, including Gaudreau, including Kachuk, how many of these guys are going to come out and duplicate it again this year the one tough part for Calgary is this is also the year that this is the bargain part of the trade that he's, you know, still earning a number way South of what he should be. And you need to be able to make hay in a year like this before that contract kicks in. Looking at the opposition from yesterday, the Vancouver Canucks, there's some intriguing players on that group as far as if they're going to be on the team past the trade deadline in early March. Uh, Bo Horvat is obviously getting all of the uh, kind of headlines. What did you make of the statement released by the Vancouver Canucks on Horvat and, and discussing his future for the rest of the season? Just leave me alone. I don't want to yeah. talk about it anymore. I don't want to answer any questions. You know, we've sort of reached this stage where with how well he's played, it's almost been like a little bit of the theater of bizarre based on how the season and negotiations started way back in the summer to the point where they didn't talk for such a long period of time to then finally re-engage after Horvat has this insane start to the season. And then that offer is pretty roundly rejected, almost out of hand. So that leaks out. They don't want to talk about it. The Canucks surely don't want to talk about it. And it's become, I think it's, it had been awkward for a long time privately. And I think it's more than that now to the point where it's like, let's just, let's just see if we can put our head down until we have to go separate ways. We saw this with Gaudreau as well, except they got out in front of it at the beginning of the year, like in training camp, and said, we're not going to talk about it throughout the rest of the regular season. My, my question is, why did this come now and not at the beginning of the season? Is that maybe a, uh, an example of what the Canucks thought they were going to be? There was going to be no way they were going to be discussing a Bo Horvat trade at this point in the year, but things just didn't go well to start the season, and, and now this is just how the script is laid out and they're kind of making up lost ground. Do you see it the same way? Yeah, Maddie, I think there's no, no denying the fact that there's no chance the Canucks thought they'd be in this spot right now where they went through the first month of the season and their, their season was already swirling down the drain. Um, 
they're sort of, if you look at the standings, kind of right back in the mix, if you want to call it that. But I don't think anyone's fooling anyone in Vancouver in terms of not just what this team is right now, but what are they going to be, you know, in another year or two? They need a significant overhaul. And as much as I think internally they're conflicted and they want to keep Bo Horvat, the truth is it doesn't, they're not winning with him. So you need to go in a different direction at some point and shake things up. So you're probably better off using the one asset you have to bring something significant back in return that can jumpstart where you want to get to. And also then at the same exact time, create some of the salary cap flexibility that your team has been craving for the last number of years that wanted it last summer, but couldn't exactly rip the bandaid off because they were enchanted by this 50 some game run that they went on to close out the year thinking, Hey, if we just play the same way to start next year, we'll be a playoff team. But the problem is there's so many teams that fall into that pitfall and, and get lost in and entranced by the last, you know, 40 games or so of a meaningless season. And it almost never translates. Sports at 960 NHL insider Frank Saravalli brought to you by South Trail Chrysler here on the big show, Russick and Rose. Sports at 960, the fan. Frank, how tough is it for GMs to make a deal right now with so many teams up against the cap? I mean, it, it's it's tough, but it's not impossible. The problem is one thing we're running up to the NHL's holiday roster freeze, and I don't think anyone's, at least according to the conversations I've heard, I don't think anyone is pounding the table to get something done before the holidays. The other part is there's just this long dance that occurs when it comes to NHL trades. This is not like the NBA or the NFL where it's like a simple one or two call process to get something done. It's like, I've explained this before. It's like a flirtation process that starts, you know, kind of in November. And then as the calendar turns to December, you have a call with another manager and you, you know, you bring up like five or six guys, and then you start to, as you get closer to March 3rd, narrow down your list, even though you've had your sight set on one guy the whole time, and they could probably read right through it. You don't want to be overt because you, they feel like in some ways it hurts their ability to actually make a trade um, and what they'd have to give up. Whereas if you just stepped up and said, hey, here's what I'm thinking, it almost just, it never works that way for whatever reason. I wanted to ask you about the Board of Governors meeting and the biggest thing that came out of it. Was it pretty much that the salary cap is probably only going to go up $1 million and kind of how Gary Bettman talked about, hey, you guys are the ones talking about raising it when it was kind of his idea at the last set of meetings? Well, here's the thing. like, There's a lot of posturing and nuance that goes with that. So I'll say that just for clarity's sake, like I've never been more convinced leaving that meeting earlier this week that the cap is going to increase by a significant amount just because of the data that they provided. $70 million remaining to be paid to players. Bettman also revealed that the debt was at 1.1.5 billion. That means that almost 96% of it will have been paid off by the end of this season. And the 70 million remaining would probably be paid off before puck drop next season. So what sense does it make to go through next season knowing that it's going to be paid off so early to artificially keep the cap low because that's what you negotiated a number of years ago during a pandemic. 
The thing is, there's going to be owners on the other side. And I think that's sort of why Bettman answered the questions the way that he did. Pretty antsy to get the cap moving in, in, in a positive direction. That after all these years, you don't want a fourth straight year of a frozen flat salary cap environment. I don't think it, it helps the game. Um, I think there's so many teams now struggling to the question you just asked previously to really make transactions that, you know, they need the additional three or $4 million increase like old times, like the way it used to be. That's what you could count on almost every year that it has to get moving that way. It also happens to help the players. So in this case, I have a feeling they'll be able to come together and come to some sort of negotiation as to what it will look like. Uh, and get that debt ultimately paid off. But to stick to the letter of the law just to do so, I understand why you'd want to say that now to not tip your hand, but I have a pretty good indication that it's going to be moving north this summer. Frank, how how long is Gary Bettman going to be the commissioner here? The guy's 70 years old. I'm sure he's in pretty good health here. And I feel like uh, he has no intention of leaving anytime soon. He's got like a death grip on this job. But the guy is 70. Is there a is there a plan here? Has he even mentioned potentially leaving the post or it's going to be Gary Bettman pretty much until it's not Gary Bettman 70, but he might look younger than me. Huh. Uh, You're just a silver Fox, Frank. That's just the hand you were dealt. That's okay. It's the, the technical term is silver haired millennial. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but in this case, look, so, sorry, Frank, the... sorry, Frank, I got to interrupt you. You know what you should start doing? <laughs> Because you just went silver at a young age. That happens to a lot of guys out there. What you should do is, and Troy Aikman talked about this on Thursday Night Football, you should just say you're a hell of a lot older than you actually are. You'd be like, you know what? I'm actually 65. You're like, wow, Frank, you look great for 65. <laughs> you should just do that. You should just totally play into it now. That would create some really awkward conversations when out to dinner with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Frank, you're 72. You look fantastic. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> What a pull. And she's just sitting there saying, like, hey guys, I'm 33. Like, what? Like, I, I swear, I'm not chasing this. Um, yeah, that's wow. That is something. Um, to, to get back to your question, yes. The big story at last year's Board of Governors meeting was that it appeared Gary Bettman received a five year extension on his term as commissioner. Now, I think the real question is, will he serve the full five years? And I, I think the way he's been going, you could easily see that being the case. I also wonder if three years in, we might see some kind of succession plan begin to, to go hmm. into place where there's a transition of power. Who knows? I, I don't have the answer. I'm not sure that it's clearly defined or written anywhere either. But I will say that there is a ton of positives in having that type of stability for so long. I also think when you get to a meeting like that this week, you realize that there are some negatives as well, because this league at, at varying points, they're thrilled with the product on the ice and rightfully so, because I think the on ice product has never been better. I just think you run into some complacency sometimes in terms of maybe trying to take further steps to improve the game or your business that it, you know, instead of being content, being a five and a half billion dollar league, you could be pushing the envelope to make it more. And, and I think sometimes tradition and traditionalists get in the way. Frank, does the league do a, a good enough job? And I know because of where we're at with analytics, but the league isn't really producing a ton of these numbers. 
It's coming from websites that I understand they do a good job of this, but we don't really know who's doing those websites, who's qualified to doing those numbers. Why isn't the league keen on being very analytically driven to given these big time numbers fans want to look at like leagues like the NFL and the NBA have done? Why haven't the NHL followed suit yet? Instead, we have to go get these numbers from websites that aren't affiliated with the league whatsoever. So give me an example of what you're talking about, just so I can hone just like in on it. like, like zone entries. There isn't a zone. Natural Statric would yeah, be a, sure. a website. Natural Statric does a great job, but they're not run by the NHL. Honestly, and they're not even providing the data that I'm most interested either. Like I have to go get those from other outside sources and companies that are right. being paid by teams, like a Sport Logic or a Stathletes or whatever it might yeah. be. So um, shouldn't that be produced by the league themselves? Here's the thing I would ask you is like, you care about it because you work in, in that world. I care about it because I work in that world. How much does the actual casual fan care about it? The gambler would the care answer, about it. <laughs> I, I think the answer is is a very small percentage. And I think that's the truth. Um, I think the, the TV partners, and you'd have to ask Roger specifically, have run into some of these same issues when it comes to the player and puck tracking. They're provided a ton of information and data. And there was all this talk a few years ago about, oh man, this is gonna change the second screen experience that you can watch the game on the iPad and get all these analytics flowing to you in real time. And it's like, how many people on planet earth are actually gonna sit there and do it? Like you wanna actually watch the game to turn your brain off, at least I do, not turn it on. And so, I think that's a small subset of fans. And I think they've actually realized that as much as they were trying to gear some of that information into the broadcast or into a website or whatever it is, that it, it's not actually what people are clamoring for. And they've had to pare that back. Hmm. It's going to be interesting. to I We had uh, the Flames were on the, the Sportsnet Now online broadcast where they're showing all those stats that they have and uh, I honestly, I watched it, and and maybe like Frank said, it is just me being so close to the sport. But when it was all said and done, I was like, I want all the stats they were showing. I don't just want the top five of average speed and hardest shot. You feel shot. like you needed a nap after? Well, I, I <laughs> always feel like I need a nap, bit of a sleepy boy. But it's kind of cool to see like during a, a break or a timeout, especially if I'm watching the game on my TV and I have the second screen going on my laptop, which has a little bit of a delay to it. So I know that there's a stoppage in play. I can look down and see, oh, look who had the highest average skating, uh, the highest average speed so far in this game. It's Brett Ritchie. That's shocking to me. But I'll keep an eye out for something like that. Like, I don't know. To me, those stats are intriguing. I, I find them useful and, and interesting and maybe more so in just like interesting little tidbit ways. But I don't know. I, I, I think it's something that is growing. There's maybe more interest in it. Maybe it's not demanded yet but i still feel like it's it's growing in in, in a direction that people are going to want to see this eventually i will say i think it's changed a little bit of the in-game experience depending on what arena you hmm. go to like they don't have a super fancy video board at the dome because no. nothing's fancy at the dome correct but the you go to certain buildings and I, I remember being drawn to it in the playoffs in denver last year their 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 video board stretches from beyond blue line to blue line and at the bottom of it, they'd have like who was on the ice at that exact moment of time. And then under that player, they it would say like it would flip between like distance skated total in the game, uh, average shift length, like, all, you know, top speed attained, all those yeah. types of things. And it was in a very subtle way. So it was there if you wanted to get to it. 
but I, I just out of 20,000 people in the building, give or take like are are 2000 paying attention to it. Like, I don't know what the number is, but I guess the point to your, to answer your question is you have all the information. You should just dump it out there and make it available so that those who would like to consume it. Yeah. Can. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the hit yesterday in the Wild Red Wings game. What did you make of uh, Reeves flattening Philip Ronick? So I've actually surprised myself a little bit in terms of how I look at it and how I feel about it. I would say it is absolutely clean to the letter of the law, and it is he absolutely bulldozes him. And I think, you know, the old me might have been rooting for that. Like, yeah, run that guy over. That was amazing. Um, you know, love to see the physicality in the game. And I, I always have. But I saw this tweet um, online, and it was from Chris Nowinski, who was the – he was a former football player in college, uh, was a WWE wrestler, and has gone back and since been one of the leaders in concussion studies, became a doctor, actually, which is kind of amazing. And – he sent out a tweet that I thought for the first time ever in a, in 280 characters succinctly changed my mind. He, there was someone that responded to a tweet that he put out and he said, look at this hit. He keeps his skate on the ice. The elbow is well tucked until after contact is made. Looks like a clean open ice hit where the defender is skating with his head tucked into his chest, looking at the ice. Got to keep your head up. And, and Nowinski replied, the NFL used to allow that too. Then the players decided that getting a traumatic brain injury for looking the wrong way is a stupid punishment. NHL players need to know that the game doesn't have to be this dangerous. A slight rule tweak and they go home healthy to their kids. And I was like, man, that just makes sense to me now. Like, I just, I don't think at the end of the day that anyone should have to be dealing with a life-changing, life-altering hit for you know, skating the puck in that direction at that time and getting run over. So um, you could talk about clean and point of contact and primary point of contact, and you can dive into the weeds all you want. That was the first time in my life that I sat there and I was mm. like, that just makes sense to me. How shocked were you that he got hit like that? Because when I watched it, he looks right at Ryan Reeves and then he looks away and I go, well, what do you expect? Because here's the thing, when you're trying to move the puck up the ice, you may see that player, you may think you see that player, and when he looks at him, you could tell that he needs a new diaper because he needs oh, new underwear. Like it, it's He's in yeah. trouble, and he knows he's in trouble, and there's just no way to get out of the way. Reeves is a big dude who's experienced, who knows exactly what he's doing and where he's trying to get to. And it was like a Venus flytrap. He sucked him right in. And it was a hard, clean hit. And I have no qualms with the rule book or anything like that. I just wonder if we need to change the, the conversation and talking point. Well, also, doesn't it also involve guys' livelihoods who have to be physical and make those hits to be in the NHL and make that living? It, yes, it does. Um, There's too much nuance to this, right? There's a ton, but I, this just like as an overall 30,000 foot view, like I said, this made mm. sense to me. Like we don't, I think as the NFL, since the rule changes that they've made, has it been any less entertaining? No. 
So could we still but have the, a really entertaining hockey game yeah, without but see, a hit like that? See, the problem with the NFL is uh, it's it's the one league everyone likes to put on the pedestal and like to compare. But the problem is with the NFL, it's the perfect storm here, Frank. It's once a week. It's shrouded in gambling and fantasy football. That's why the interest is so high on the National Football League. Leagues like Major League Baseball, hockey, and basketball, they're playing three, four times a week. And I think that's the difference here. And when people say, oh, does it really hurt the product? People would watch the NFL if it's a 3 nothing game tonight because they're so invested in their gambling and their fantasy football team tonight. That's, I would agree I think, with difference. that to an extent, George. But sure. I would say that I think the NFL remains undefeated in drama, not just because the season is so short, because the last five minutes of just about 90% of games is so enthralling that you can't look away. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge part of it too. Like their playoffs are drama filled. Like it just is. It's the damn sexy NFL. It's hard to keep my eyes off it, Frank. <laughs> they, they own they own one day of the week. Like, I know how incredible that is. They and they're trying to take more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've already got. They're going to own Christmas Day this year too. They're like, sorry, NBA, we're taking over this yeah. year. Yeah, and then Christmas a- Eve. I, I look. I, I said to Pierre LeBron, we were in uh, Florida this week. I said. Why don't you and I, like, he's he's a Cowboys fan. I'm an Eagles fan. I say, why don't we just, let's go to Dallas and watch the game. Let's ditch our families. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. It's going to be a great matchup. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, kids. Santa picked me up, and uh, yeah. off we went. Great stuff. Just but... let me know where I need to send the alimony check. Okay, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Did you great. get a nice tan down there? No, nah, look, hey, I, I know everyone thinks, you know, uh, hey, it's so great that you guys get to go to Florida. It is still a work trip. So I'm mm. not going to say that I, I did not abuse my liver, but um, mm. good job. I will say that uh, if these meetings were in Winnipeg, we would also <laughs> still go there too. Okay. Proud right. of you. Proud of you. Uh, Frank, great job. We'll talk next week, pal. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Uh, Frank Saravalli, our Sports at 960 NHL Insider, brought to you by South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. Ross Tucker, straight ahead, NFL and CBS, the Ross Tucker podcast. We're going to give away day number nine of our 12 days of Christmas, Wild Rose Brewery. Are the Calgary Flames a playoff team? If so, tell us why. If play not, tell us why. We'll give you a prize straight ahead on the text line, 960-960, name and location. It's all straight ahead. Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sports at 960, The Fan. You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Come to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Uh, we have a prize to give away later on this hour, and we're going to do the soccer report. But right now on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, our man, NFL insider for CBS Sports, host of the Ross Tucker podcast. We say good morning to Ross Tucker. Ross, how are you? Awesome. How are you guys doing? We're good. Um, uh, earlier on this week, uh, we had a weird topic. Don't even know how it really came up. But uh, weird food combos, stuff that people like to put together. And you're a guy, no stranger to food. We follow you on Twitter at Ross Tucker. You like to show a lot of media spreads out. Do you have any weird food combo you like to indulge in because mine was I like to put ketchup on French toast, but not like the cinnamon French toast, just plain French toast. I like to put ketchup on it because I'm a bit of a weirdo. Is there any weird food combo Ross Tucker likes? Because I feel like you're a food aficionado. 
Yeah, well, I appreciate you presenting this to me. I, I am considered by many to be the world's foremost expert um, in such matters yes. such as these. And if you don't believe me, everyone listening should follow me on social media, at Ross Tucker NFL. So these, th- this is a comment and an answer. Okay. And the answer is, I like spicy mustard on my fries. But yeah. you should know, okay. I should have you know, yeah. that I believe that spicy mustard is always the correct mustard. Like, I don't, mm. I don't, I, I can't, I'm not aware of a scenario where it'd be better to have yellow mustard. Like, you'd rather have yellow mustard on a hot dog? No. Spicy <laughs> golden mustard. Right. It's just like deli mustard. It's so good. And this is a big issue with me and the Subway Corporation okay. because they're not required yeah. to have spicy mustard anymore, deli mustard. They just they are required to have yellow. And it's like, first of all, your whole gig is that you're a deli, like you're a sandwich shop. How yeah. do you not have deli mustard? Secondly, if mm. only one mustard is going to be required, it should be deli mustard, spicy mustard. So anyway. Um, I don't know if that's weird enough for you, mm. but that's one thing. The other thing is, um, I'm at the stage of my life where mac and cheese, I believe, is a is is essentially a condiment, right? <laughs> like, who 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 eats mac and cheese on its own, like a toddlers do? Yeah. Toddlers say, "Mommy, can I have mac and cheese?" Right. Like, if you're a grown man and you yeah. get mac and cheese, you need to mix that in. With the proteins, I'm real big if I'm at, like, a buffet. I'll get a plate full of brisket or pulled pork, and then I will layer the mac and cheese Mm. on top of it as if it's a topping or a condiment. And then the taste of, like, that salty, savory meat with the mac and cheese, Mm. it's so good. In fact, I'm glad you asked because Monday night, I'm calling the Packers-Rams game, oh. and a lot of times they'll have pulled pork, and they'll have mac and cheese. They call it pack and cheese, and I will combine the two, and it's delicious. All right. Now, you've opened the can of worms to me asking you this question. Uh, we know a lot of cities in the United States are famous for their food. You know, uh, St. Louis barbecue, Texas barbecue. Lots of places have these specialties. What's the most overrated city for food, in your opinion, that people are like, oh, you got to eat in this city? Um, and you're on Calgary Radio, so you're not going to get in trouble. Yeah. Is there anything, while well, I'm thinking about that, is there anything Calgary's known for? Steaks. Alberta beef is kind of our, our big thing here. Um, I, you know... I hate to say it, mm-hmm. but I kind of think I kind of think New Orleans food's a little overrated. Ooh, okay. Like New Orleans has great food. Don't get me wrong, and I like a po' boy, but some of the stuff like the crawfish and the seafood gumbo, some of it's too much for me. Okay. And uh, I don't know. It just gets rated as like the best food city in the world. I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. 
All right. I love I love your honesty, Ross. I, I absolutely love your honesty. Um, hey, we got a Thursday nighter tonight. Seahawks and 49ers. Uh, Seattle, maybe their play have dipped lately. The defense hasn't been as good. Can can the Niners go deep here with a Brock Purdy, a Josh Johnson? Is the defense that good? And are the playmakers on offense that good that you just got to get them the football and they'll do the rest? Can, can the Niners have a deep run here in the NFC? Yeah, I think they can. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because I was talking about this this morning with Greg Cosell, the longtime NFL films guru, and he kind of agreed with me on this. Brock Purdy's mobility gives them a little extra element that they didn't have with Jimmy Garoppolo. Hmm. You know, Kyle Sheehan really likes to run those bootlegs, and Purdy can move a little bit. Like, he's not a statue like Jimmy G is, and I think that that helps them. I, I really think it adds a little element to the Niners' offense that they were missing. We're looking at a lot of different lines uh, over the course of the weekend. We did our big bets a little bit earlier, and Georgie and I going head-to-head on a lot of games. I'm liking a lot of underdogs this week, like looking at the Dolphins, the Jags, the Lions. Do you, As far as from a betting perspective, are you looking at some underdogs perhaps? Yeah, I think you just named them. <laughs> Honestly, I, I do the Even Money betting podcast every Tuesday, and it's it's very popular, and I have all of them. I have Jacksonville plus the four and a half against the Cowboys, Giants plus the four and a half against the Commanders. I, I even took the Dolphins getting, I think it was seven and a half against the Bills Saturday night. Yeah, man, I'm with you. I actually, it actually raises a question. How popular is betting in Canada? It's only been legal for what, like six months or a year or something? Yeah. Yeah. See, the the thing is, Ross, uh, here in Canada, it's actually been legal since uh, I know in Ontario, where I'm from, since the early 90s, you could go to the corner store, buy your bag of milk and make a sports bet because it was run through the provincial lottery. So gambling in Canada, we are no stranger to gambling. It's just now that all the American companies are starting to filter in into this country, especially in the province of Ontario, where I believe there's 12 different U.S. betting companies. And they're all online. Yeah, it's all online. It's just as popular here as it has been down south. And it's actually been legal longer here than it has been in the United States, outside of Nevada, of course. Interesting. So for since the 90s, yes. people have been able to bet on sports in Canada. They just had to do it at the store right? at the same place where they would buy a lottery ticket. Correct. But what went through in the past year or whatever is essentially online betting or yeah. you know, like single uh, game. Like with yeah. the lottery, the online, you would have to make a minimum of a three game parlay to have a ticket. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Right. Okay, so now you guys can just make bets on whatever you want for the first time. Correct. Props, spreads, single bets, you name it, we can do yeah. it all. Okay, yeah, that's a big difference. Huge difference. Uh, it, it's kind of changed things up here, and as a result, more people are watching, more people are into it, and, of course, we can get more uh, kind of broadcast going and doing our own type of betting stuff up here as well. And, of course, I'm sure there's people that listen to the Ross Tucker uh, betting podcast down south as well. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit specifically about the Miami Dolphins. Do you think Tua is going to struggle as they go into Buffalo and playing in those tough weather environments? 
Yeah, probably. I mean, he struggled the last couple games, and now he's going into where it's going to be windy and snowing. And I saw where yesterday he said it snows in Alabama, which I thought was really funny. I mean, (laughs) it's different, buddy. I can assure you it's a lot different. (laughs) I mean, that that was an amazing comment by him. Um, That – that will definitely backfire if he's struggling in uh, in that game Saturday night. I don't know. I, I think they'll be able to keep it close. I, you know, the Dolphins can't be this bad as they've been the last couple of weeks. They need this win. So, And the Bills haven't looked that great. So I think it'll be a close game. I don't think Tua will keep playing this poorly. Ross Tucker, NFL Insider, CBS Sports, host of the Ross Tucker Podcast, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza Sports Bar guest Hotline. Okay, Ross, now I have to ask you. You played in some cold-weather cities. You're an offensive lineman. Did you ever hear guys, especially when you played for the Bills, on the other side complain about the weather during the game? Um, That's a good question. No, I, I don't think really? I ever heard them complain about the weather. You could just see them. It's It's almost <laughs> like it's almost like you're not allowed to complain about the weather, right? Because mm. it's a uh, sign of weakness, but, right? Right, but instead, you can just see them looking miserable, if that <laughs> makes sense. So was that an instance where you put an extra smile on your face when it was bitterly cold? Well, here's the thing about being, like, bitterly cold. Like, I don't like it either, you know? I mean, it's I don't true. care that I played in Buffalo. Like, I mean, I guess I liked it that I was, it didn't affect me as much as it affected them, but I wasn't that happy either. You know what's funny? I say this to people all the time. When you're starting, you don't really even notice the weather because I'm a believer that the human body can only, like, can only be concerned about one thing at a time. Mm. And so... And so, like, you can be cold, but then when you get out there inside the white line and you have a 332-pound D-tackle <laughs> six inches from your nose, yeah. you forget how cold it is real quick. <laughs> yeah. Because you're way more concerned about getting killed or embarrassed. Right. But when you're like a backup and you're on the sideline, you're freezing. Yeah. You're absolutely freezing because you don't have that other imminent danger. Mm. Like the human psyche can only be concerned about one, uh, uh, the most imminent danger at a time. And that changes real quick from when you're on the sideline to when you're on the, uh, in the trenches. Uh, Speaking of weather, we usually see it affect games in the AFC North should be a fun race for that division title. Is that maybe the most intriguing divisional title race that you see as we've got the home stretch of the regular season here? Yeah, because it feels significant. It really does. I mean, it feels like it's a big deal as to who wins that division. You know, you win the division, you get a home playoff game. You know, you might even get, it's unlikely, but you might even get, uh, no, they won't get a bye. But at least, it's unlikely you get a bye, but at least you get a home game as opposed to you lose it. You got to go through it. Although, gosh, now that I'm talking this out with you guys, I hadn't really thought of this. 
Oh, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm an idiot. I was going to say that, you know, the AFC North champ would be the four seed. And then, you know, the runner-up would be the five seed and have to play against each other in the playoffs. But that's not true. It's, the, the, the AFC South champ is going to be the four seed. So, in a weird way, I don't know. In a weird way, I know you want to win the division, mm. but – I don't know. Would you rather go against a, a flailing Titans team or a pretty darn good, you know, Dolphins or Chargers or somebody? Hmm. Uh, Ross, before I let you go, this has been very enlightening to us about the food talk. I just want to circle back really quick on French fries. Uh, mayonnaise, is that a flag? Or my personal favorite, I'm not a mayo on fries guy, but I've seen a lot of people in my life do that. Um, if you go to a certain fast food joint, i.e. Wendy's, you get the cheese sauce with your fries, oh, yeah. which is absolutely delicious. Are, are, you, are you green light on any of those? So I thought you were going to go Frosty because there are people that oh, yeah. dip their fries in their Frosty. I've seen that too. Which I, I'm not a big fan of. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of that. I don't know. I, I don't like the change in temperature there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's a little bit too much for me. I feel like when you eat a fry with frosty on it, it like it like burnt, it like hurts my teeth or something. Right. There's something weird there, where it's like I don't like the cold on my teeth like while I'm chewing. Um, <laughs> I've never tried the cheese sauce, but I have to at some point. Yes, and mayonnaise, as a general rule, is disgusting, <laughs> and people that eat mayonnaise should reevaluate everything. It's like liquid fat. It's gross. And every situation where you use mayonnaise, spicy mustard would be much better for so many different reasons. There you go. Uh, I've, I've learned circle, something baby. today. It's all about spicy mustard. Love Ross it. Tucker, NFL insider, CBS Sports, host of the Ross Tucker podcast. Check out his betting podcast as well, which is fantastic. Any ideas for Christmas gifts this year? Absolutely. Myfrontpagestory.com. Mm. I was just on Indianapolis, and we got four orders. Within like 30 minutes of me getting off the radio. So let's see if Calgary can beat them. I know a lot of you driving around don't know what to get your wife or your mom, and you're still thinking about it. Trust me, myfrontpagestory.com, they write the most unbelievable story about your wife or mom or whoever. It looks like it's on the front page of the newspaper. It's beautiful. It's framed. It's so cool to be able to say to them, I had a story written about you because they'll be like, what is this? As they're opening it. And when you get to say that, that just sounds awesome. Who gets a story written about somebody? You do at mm-hmm. myfrontpagestory.com. Plus it's framed. So they'll hang it up in their house forever. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. Trust me. I know you don't know what to get them. That's what to get them. Myfrontpagestory.com. Sounds great. Ross, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for this. See you, dude. And there's Russ Tucker brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Dine and pick up or have your game day special delivered. No, he's the best. Let me get through this. He's Find out why Atlas Pizza is a 14-time <laughs> Consumer Choice Award winner. 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast or call 403-248-3344. That's how you, that's how you do a product. <laughs> that's how you sell a product right there. That's how you do it, Ross Tucker. What a legend.
Guy's the best. Okay, we got we got some housekeeping, housekeeping to do here before we go. We need more loving pledge. Um, day nine of the Wild Rose Brewery, twelve days of Christmas. We asked you to as we kicked off the show on the text line nine sixty nine sixty. Of course, you came through like you always do. We asked you, are the Calgary Flames a playoff team? If so, why? If not, why? Uh, we got some text messages. You want here, a little Maddie Rose optimism or pessimism to start it off? Uh, dealer's choice. Okay, a little pessimism. Uh, Mark from Cochrane. The entire team needs to be dropped in the middle of nowhere, given a pack of matches, and left to figure it out together. No gel, no love on the sheet. Tanev is the only guy that goes to war for his brothers. A little okay. pessimistic. All Doesn't right. think they're going to be a playoff team unless they obviously go into the middle of nowhere. We're just a pack of matches and sure. learn to survive together. Um, this one says from Lyndon, good morning, you beauties. When it comes to the flames making playoffs, I have hope. Okay. There's all capitals there. Listen, I believe in Santa. And if he can deliver presents to 8 billion people in one night, I have to believe in something as crazy as the flames getting an invitation to the dance. Okay. I like that. Right. little, uh, a little positivity there. Uh, Kate in Calgary is not really there. They're not going to make the playoffs. Majority of losses have been one goal games. All their top players are underproducing. All the top players had career years last year and obviously won't get to those levels. But they're still in the hunt while being absolutely terrible offensively. The entire chemistry and culture of this team was shaken up this summer. It takes time to establish a new culture and identity. They have the easiest schedule remaining and have proven they can play with the big boys. It's a long season and everyone needs to relax. Okay. So that one was pretty good too. I like this one, which is pretty short and to the point. And on yesterday's topic, progress, boys. No penalty in overtime. Plan the parade. That from Ben. Mm. Which it's one do you like? It's slippery slope to go from not taking I a penalty stay in on overtime the positive side to of things this morning. Um, I like the I like the Santa Claus has to yeah, drop off do eight it. billion presents. That's All a right. good one. Who is so that? That would be Lyndon and Airdrie. Uh, Lyndon, congratulations. You're a winner today. Let's do That'd it. That'd be Lyndon. Let's congratulations. open up the door. The ninth day of Christmas from Wild Rose Brewery. Let's open it up there, Garrett. We've got a $50 gift card to the tap room. Oh, oh okay. That's not bad. Tap room's nice. All right. Grab yourself some charcuterie. Congratulations. Their bruschetta was very good when we went very a couple tasty. weeks ago. Very tasty. Um, I uh, had High Harvest and Sun Scout in my fridge over the weekend. Look at you. Uh, poll question's done, too. At George Russick at Sportsnet 960. Who should do the play-by-play for our annual beer league game? Pat Steinberg ran away with it, 61.9%. Wait till we break it to him on the meeting in about two and a half hours. How many now. votes did I get? I don't know, but you got 9.5% of the vote. Oh, that's... They Keeping don't up the rear. Pat Steinberg, I was second. Thank God, 21.4%. Thank <laughs> God. Patty Steinberg, uh, you're doing it. Uh, let's get to a soccer report before we say goodbye. Alex Brody, let's do this. This soccer report is brought to you by Certainty, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. Certainty pro all the way. So our final is set. It will be Messi and Argentina taking on his PSG teammate, teammate pardon me, Mbappe and defending champions France. Argentina looking for their revenge on this one. France actually eliminated them in the round of 16 at the 2018 edition of the tournament. That one ended four to three. It was quite a game. So hopefully some of the same fanfare in this one. Argentina, a much different looking team though. Messi actually played center forward in 2018, whereas this time around he's playing just behind the center forward and distributing the ball more. A very, very different system for the Argentina side. 
France, although still lead many familiar faces, they are a much different looking side than the one that took down Argentina four years ago. Namely, their midfield, completely different due to the injuries of Paul Pogba and N'Golo Conte. A couple of storylines leading up to Sunday's match. Leo Messi has announced that the final will be his last ever game at this tournament. He has participated in five editions of the tournament, notably losing in the finals in 2014 to Germany. So quite the last game for him. And multiple news outlets reporting this morning that a cold virus is running through the France squad ahead of the final on Sunday. At least three players in the squad have been affected and two were isolated earlier this week. We'll have some updates on that and another soccer report as we prepare for the final tomorrow. A friendly reminder that that final goes at 8 a.m. on Sunday. This soccer report is brought to you by Certainty, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. Certainty, pro all the way. Great job, Alex. Sacre bleu! The cold, I had to yell it out there. Uh, that's it for us. Are you us. Hammer, hammering Argentina then? With, if they're all uh, got a little maybe. sniffly nose? No, I got, I got to look at the numbers. I'm, I'll be doing that while doing Inside the Lines. I'll be watching the World Cup final. What time is distracting. it? It's 8 a.m. Sunday? Yeah. My show's on 8 till 1, 8 till 11. Hmm. 10 till 1 Eastern. It's going to be tough. Yeah, got to watch that. Uh, that's it for us. We got to run. <laughs> We're late. Yeah, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. 